0: Uh, Good afternoon. My name is Tommy O'Halloran. I am with Structure Tone, and I chair communities for the New York City chapter of Cornette Global. On behalf of our technology community, I'd like to welcome you to our panel today, Trailblazing Tech, Turning Data into Insights. Before we uh, get started here, I just want to take a moment to thank our uh, very gracious host, Time Warner. Um, This beautiful venue and the delicious lunch you're eating has been uh, donated Courtesy of them, so to Steve, our panelist, and to Christopher Davidson and the rest of the team at Time Warner, we want to say thank you very much. This is, this is just a fantastic. So we would also like to uh, take a second to acknowledge and to thank our chapter sponsors. We'll start with our annual learning sponsor, the Rockefeller Group, our platinum sponsors, Gold sponsors, and our silver and bronze sponsors. I see a lot of, the, um, I see a lot of people from those companies represented here today, so uh, thank you guys very much. Without your support, events like this wouldn't be possible, so thanks very much. So in today's world, we're constantly hearing about how smart building technologies can collect data on how the workplace is being used. From sensor-enabled lights to desk reservation systems, Companies have more office space information available at their fingertips than ever before. Many of these companies, however, are just starting to understand how this data can be used to make informed real estate planning decisions. Today's session is bringing together the most technologically advanced companies to hear about a day in the life of how these new tools are influencing insight and action within the workplace in real estate planning. Oops. So in today's session, We'll be exploring the technology opportunities that exist at several levels. So to start off, we're going to work from big to small. At the urban level, we'll be hearing from Related and the development at Hudson Yards. Oops. At the building level, we'll be hearing from SL Green and the One Vanderbilt development. At the corporate level, uh, we'll be hearing from Time Warner and their future occupancy at 30 Hudson Yards. And at the individual level, we'll be hearing from Delos to talk about the human experience of the occupants in those buildings. Tommy, can you promise us the last height joke you're going to (laughs) make? I'm just getting warm. Or do you have a few more? Get them out now, please. (laughs) Yes, and we've seated these guys in in order of height and strength. (laughs) But uh, in reverse, charm,
1: back up. Oh, thank you. No offense. No offense. Now I feel okay. You're good now.
0: So, uh, to introduce our panelists, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Starting uh, from the podium working our way out is Scott Evans. Scott is the Chief Digital Officer of Hudson Yards. Next to Scott, we have Ed Pickenich, Chief Operating Officer of uh, SL Green. Our host, Steve Lefkowitz from Time Warner. And Ross Gutler, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships uh, with Delos. So with that, I would like to kick it off to Scott to start us with related and all things
2: Hudson Yards. Fantastic, thank you. Do you have a clicker or do you need? Uh, let me blow that. Sure. So quick show of hands, how many of you have heard of Hudson Yards uh, or been to Hudson Yards? <laughs> Great, fantastic. So when you think about um, kind of the vision that Mr. Ross had, it's about, we're trying to create a live, work and play environment where it's not just bringing in the latest technology. We're also trying to create leverage this technology so that it's enabling, that we can create a a data-led environment that is sustainable, but also future-proofed. And what I want to do today is take you through a little bit of our thinking, um, which might be helpful for you. So we're really in the fourth revolution, right? We've had steam, electricity, automobiles, and now with digital, um, it's the pervasiveness of the smartphone. It's AI that's evolving. It's drones. And, And the concept is how do we now embed this cons- this digital strategy into our real estate strategy, in our development strategy? This is an interesting slide that I always enjoy because it's like there's a- it's a pace slide, right? There's the customer-facing development, which is increasingly rapid, right? Whether you're thinking about like Uber, Airbnb, WeWorks, right? AI, it's at a pace that is like on a cycle that is not normally um, consistent with what's happening in real estate. When you think about what happened at Hudson Yards, you know, we, we really were awarded the project in 2008. We broke ground in 2012 and we opened up 10 Hudson Yards, but we're, I mean, think about that period of time and how much evolution happened from a consumer facing technology standpoint. The standards consistently change. This slide creates, a, what I like to think about is a little bit of a tension slide. Again, on the top is all the consumer-facing applications. And then if you think about it, from an infrastructure standpoint, right, whether it's elevators, BMS, um, security, environment, are they moving at the same pace? My assumption, what I've seen so far, is the answer is no. So there's this tension in between where we need to think about how we're going to plan for the future, be relevant in our technology selections, and more importantly, future-proof it. So what we thought about was we partnered with a company called Intersection, and this is about two years ago, a little bit more. We created a digital master plan. And when we thought about that, we decided, what are all the use cases? And again, 106 is what we came up with. Many of them were about wine and you know, retail, and uh, additionally around uh, you know, re- basically restaurants and consumption, but. We had to at least create an environment where we could sit there and say, here's all the use cases we need to plan for, and then what core systems need to be knitted together to enable that, and what data layer needs to be established. So, again, this is two years old, and we think that there's probably, there's a lot more than just 39 systems now. There's probably closer to 100 when we think about the campus, so we have to solve for that. So part of that strategy was there was really six core capabilities we needed to enable from an infrastructure play to start with at Hudson Yards across the campus. There's connectivity, right? Wi-Fi, DAS, how are we structuring that? How is that consistent across the campus? How is that integrated from a fiber loop standpoint? There's recognition, right? We want to be able to drive content across the campus, right, that is targeted to individuals that can help them discover Hudson Yards when it's open. There is location. Right? So, we're building a digital signage network. There's wayfinding. There's geofencing. Right? All of, when you think about what's on your phone today and the ability from a location based services standpoint, this is all relevant data in today's day and age. And you would expect, I imagine, that people are using that to help guide your discovery of an environment or an experience. Then there's transactions, payments, and experiences. And we haven't solved transactions yet, but this is something we endeavored to do so. Um, Prevalency of uh, Apple Pay and many other payment gateways is an important piece for us to recognize. Sensing, right? This is an infrastructure play. Do you have the right structure and and strategy around sensing and and more about beacons? Because as you think about it, um, whether it's mobility solutions with automobiles, you need to start thinking about how you're going to structure that as part of your infrastructure play. It can't be an afterthought. It needs to be early in the design phase. And ultimately, big data. The interesting thing that I've seen is that when you think about infrastructure and you plan it out, the question of how do you use this data? And what is the appropriate balance between privacy and experience? And I think that's where the last component of this is once you ingest all this data and have it, how can you use it to enable an experience across a campus? And that's how we're thinking about that at Hudson Yards. So I kind of call this the, uh, the nerd slide a little bit. We organized um, those six cornerstone capabilities, and we said, how are we going to bring this data together and how are we going to do this across the campus? So this slide really has basically three major components. There's an enterprise service bus component, and what that does is that allows us to plug in, whether it's AMAG or CQURE, into an integrated service bus that I then can use and we can use to enable an experience. Because when you're, when you're going across the size of the campus that we're engaging with, we, need, we can't do point-to-point integrations. We need to have the ability to do one-to-many integrations. And then the next layer is all the data aspects that we're pulling in. And we're pulling in environmental sensor data, right? We'll be pulling in BMS data. There's financial data flowing through. There's energy management data flowing through. And on the right-hand side is third-party data, if you will. What's happening from a transit standpoint, right? We're close to Penn Station. Can we provide pre-alerts when there's a delay? Because I think we all realize there's some delays at Penn Station on a regular basis. Rideshare capabilities, maps, which is also... And then ultimately on the right last part, which is the marketing platform, how do we connect individuals across a federated ID across the campus? And that's part of our strategy. And then on top of it is the application layer. And this is where we're building applications for Hudson Yards. And we know that we're not gonna build them all. But what we're trying to do is build a structure around where innovation can happen and our partners can plug into this data set and we can innovate together. So when I talk about, call it experiences we're setting up today, and these are all in flight, you know, this is just the first set and there's many other phases we're building, but fundamentally, We are building experiences around, so we have 5,000 cameras across the campus. How do we leverage that from a security standpoint? How do we do vehicle screening? There'll be over 250,000 vehicles that need to deliver to Hudson Yards on on an annual basis. How do we optimize that from an operational standpoint? And then you get into dynamic wayfinding. This is, what is the content loop? How do we we enable content that's relevant um, across the campus? Connectivity everywhere. I mean, that is basically like oxygen. If you step on a campus and you don't have great Wi-Fi, it will be a disappointing experience. Events and ticketing, right? We'll have the vessel, um, and we'll also have the observation deck. So how do you do ticketing across the campus and make it simplified? Smart home and residential services, these kind of go hand in hand. Smart home, how do you integrate into, we have you know, two towers that are all about residential, 15 and 35. How do we enable smart home within there? As well as residential services around within that, you know, we're developing a uh, residential app that will basically be a command and control for the entire somebody's apartment. Friction, frictionless building entries. My guess is everybody's a little bit frustrated with the printed visitor entry solution. So we're solving for that. How do we integrate that and how's that driven through your phone? And we're also using uh, biometrics for entry for tenants. And then ultimately future uses and we're, this is where the partnership happens. We will have a million square feet of retail, over a hundred partners. What services can we help broker for the benefit of everybody that's on Hudson Yards? And what, how does that work in a synchronous fashion so that we can offer specific experiences around shopping um, with a knowledge base that is helpful for that specific retail? And all of this is built on top of this platform that we just went through because this is the starting point but it's definitely not the ending point because ultimately we think of Hudson Yards as a living laboratory. We know we can't do this ourselves, but the way we're structuring this is a bit of an open-sourced environment where we can bring in partners and solve for solutions across the 75,000 people who will be there daily, who are residents, retail, commercial partners, and just visitors. And that's how we're thinking about it at Hudson Yards. So thank you for your time. I'm now gonna head it over to Ed.
3: Thank you, Scott. How many people know where 1 Vanderbilt is? (laughs) Where's Hudson Yards? (laughs) Uh, Very exciting, Uh, 1 Vanderbilt. I'm not going to spend all that much time on new construction. It is a lot of fun to talk about new construction. Uh, Really want to uh, convey what we've been doing with our legacy buildings. But before I do that, uh, it's pretty hard not to talk about one Vanderbilt. So when you take on new construction and you try to optimize and take advantage of every possible opportunity, uh, you know, the immediate ones that come to mind that make a building smart uh, is the optimization, sustainability, uh, efficient operations, uh, enhanced security, tenant wellness, and cost savings. But in order to achieve those, uh, as Scott mentioned, you know, whether it's biometrics, whether it's face recognition, I know we all got pretty excited when the new Release of the iPhone came out and you have facial recognition. But does it have everything? One thing I notice is when I'm laying in bed and I want to check my messages in the dark, it doesn't recognize me. So, uh, you know, it, it evolves over time. And I think, you know, a lot of the things that we're going to have in this building set up the gold standard for what we need to do within our portfolio. So, our stock of buildings, um, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting different zip code, different footprint, different demands, different tenancy. But regardless of that, I w- you know what I really want to work towards is um, uh, you know what that all means. But before I get off this slide, uh, you know I think it's important to say that you know my fellow panelists told me that I'm hip and cool again because uh, uh, J P. Morgan's announcement that uh, you know they're gonna look to knock down their building and you have two forty five park that's probably going to hit the market again. Uh, so we're real excited that over a decade ago uh, SL Green started thinking about this building and creating the assemblage, Uh, you know, and that takes time. You know, um, like anyone would uh, realize, you don't just uh, turn the key and decide to knock down a whole city block. So if you are passing by, we're growing up to the ninth floor. By the end of the year, we'll be on the 30th floor. Uh, We're three weeks ahead of schedule and we're on budget. I know everyone says they're on budget, but we're on budget. Next slide. Uh, On this next slide, I think back to what Scott talked about and my fellow panelists are gonna cover you know the future when someone walks in it's going to be facial recognition, but if uh, until then your card will be picked up uh, At the desk or at the door when you walk in your elevator will be immediately dispatched Your elevator will know what floor you're going to uh, Your elevator uh, as you get off uh, Will have your lights on will have your climate control done. That's where we're heading towards and you know, it's uh It's an evolution that you watched over time, uh, but didn't realize how long it would take, right? Because when we first got uh, used to occupancy sensors, you know, that was pretty exciting. We'd walk into a conference room, the lights would go on, they'd go off, then there were some people that wanted to override that. They weren't too fond of the lights going off. Uh, But this converged network, you know, how do you get all the platforms to talk to each other? And our challenge has been, uh, as we work with software entrepreneurs, we work with different systems, I think it was important for us to fully understand how they integrate and how they talk to each other. Uh, it, you know, the days of pneumatic controls are behind us. We're going to be moving to DDC, 0 to 10 volts, opening and closing valves, doing things in our, in our space environment that we were never accustomed to. But once we get those systems talking to each other, they're really going to do things, you know, beyond our... Um, wild imagination Uh, you know I also think of relamping you know think about you know five seven years ago when you saw uh, you know a guy come over put up a ladder take a bulb out and leave and there was always someone that would come by if the first bulb went out they'd replace all of them you know which one's right I think neither I think some of the new converged systems that we're going to be looking at are going to tell us when the entire ocean of bulbs have to be changed when the relamping has to happen if it should be a single bulb uh, and we'll be able to measure down to that that efficiency. On the next slide, uh, you know, this uh, one Vandable piece before I get off, these are the different things we considered. So when um, uh, my fellow panelists here takes a shot at this, Ross, and talks about what Delos is all about, we went through the process of well certification. It's easy to build lead. You know, that's the standard. But then to go above and beyond and, and really get into, Uh, you know uh, everything that you see here and this is just you know the top uh, half a dozen or so but there's a laundry list under each and every one of these to make you know a space great if you haven't had the chance and I'm not propping them up here take a trip down to Delos's office and see you know the water they drink what they measure how they measure very similar to what we're doing within our portfolio is making sure that we have sensors Uh, in every possible place and the first place we pick may not be the right place and that's what we're constantly trying to calibrate to make sure that uh, The data that we're collecting because it's data We want data and as much data as we can get we have the scientists to evaluate that data and determine uh, You know what level? Uh, and what it means you know, to the uh, entire grid. I mean, that's how far we'll take it. Uh, on the next column there, you see the sustainability beyond code that we've done. Everything from water reclamation, I know we're accustomed to a lot of these low uh, flow fixtures to uh, reducing pump and power, condenser water. These are the things that are going to increase retention. These are the things that are going to have an effect on morale. These are the things that are going to make it comfortable in a work environment because it is changing. And again, it depends on footprint and zip code where it changes and how it changes. But, you know, down at their lab, you, you'll, you'll see how that is uh, constantly being, uh, you know, looked at and, you know, to determine, you know, what's the next step. Uh, last one, uh, and equally as important, when you talk about Penn Station and the struggle that people went through last summer, uh, our public realm improvements million, and and that's everything from expansion at street level to, um, you know, Grand Central to, you know, setting up an area where, you know, if people don't want to wait in Grand Central, we have a tote board inside our footprint, you know, for them to, you know, monitor their train. So I think that integration, uh, you know, wasn't a must. That's something we wanted to get involved with with the city. In addition to that, de-mapping Vanderbilt Plaza and creating... Something that would become an oasis where people want to uh, congregate as opposed to maybe trying to go by Grand Central when there's train delays, and you know you have to watch the elbows and the fists flying across but uh, this this part we 're equally as excited you know to see how it uh, you know really makes our building connect like no other as far as transportation hub on this next slide um, i e s uh, if you haven't met this fellow, we have uh, had a relationship with Brock Nig. I really encourage you to do so. Um, we've been, I'm going to say, going at it for about 14 years, really analyzing data behind the scenes, trying to predict you know, where our electricity is going to be, our steam, our gas, monitoring all of these uh, consumptions and trying to figure out you know, what's the best way for us to um, set up our particular building and find out what our systems are doing behind the scenes. You know, I think a dashboard is a dashboard is a dashboard. We all love our dashboards, but we really want to find out what's behind that dashboard. How accurate is it? And, um, you know, that could be a pretty tall feat. You know, where do you, where do you start? Because you assume that the information that's being flashed in front of you is correct. I think when we went through these um, alerts and advisories and budgeting and forecasts, I watched our budgeting process. I watched our expenses. Over the past 16 years that I've been there, decrease well over a million dollars, in some other years where it was even greater. Uh, but that comes through you know, constant hard work and effort in terms of tracking your energy and understanding what impact it has. We're OPEX driven, uh, because at the end of the day, if we're OPEX driven, you know, that makes it beneficial for the tenants. And I think when you look at this sheet, these are just some of the notification systems that we have that we've been drilling down. Uh, that really make up our entire portfolio. On the next slide, what you'll see is sort of our game plan. Uh, Probably first time I'm putting it out there, but we took each one of our buildings and we really wanted to understand, you know, how's the infrastructure work in relation to the software, in relation to the systems? Um, Easy, right? You say to yourself, let me get out there and do an assessment, I'll identify, you know, where the pitfalls are and then try to isolate the problem and correct it. Well, when you go through there and you detect it, I'm one for criticism. I get criticized by my wife that I can't accept the compliment. I prefer to receive criticism than compliments. <laughs> that's, that's what makes you better. Uh, if, you, if you wanna run an assessment on your building and look for positive feedback, uh, you know, then it's the same old habits. And people are constantly trying to cover up the same old habits. What we did is we wanted to detect, the exact problems and then try to figure out and determine how do we correct it? So that's, you know, uh, people piggybacking simple things on passwords, people, uh, you know, trying to cover up if, uh, you know, the latest version wasn't put on. You know, today uh, in our company, we have automatic patch systems where things are happening behind the scenes and people don't even realize that it's happening. You know, it's very similar to your iPhone when you're asked to do an update. We're doing those updates constantly behind behind the scenes, trying to analyze each and every network. Well, on a building basis, once you get that and have your action plan, you know, then it's time for milestones and it's time for um, you know, raising the bar and getting to the next level. Um, I think without this game plan uh, and without strengthening your building to make it smarter, um, you, you're fooling yourself. Because if you don't have the cybersecurity to protect it, regardless what, what the latest and greatest platform is that comes out, Um, You know, if you can't manage it and respond to it, uh, you know, you start losing, um, uh, you know, perspective in terms of where your building stands. Now, we probably look at a couple of buildings preemptively every week. um, And then we look at the ones that, you know, have an offering memorandum out on them. Uh, So we get to see the good, bad and the ugly. And, uh, you know, it's always a benchmark to be able to see what the rest of the city is doing. You know, we get uh, people that get... You know uh nervous about the building that's going on i think uh, the last time i read it was about seven, eight percent of our new stock that's hitting the market in the last 20 years Uh, you have london that's about 50 percent they have hong kong that's about 75 80 percent i think the pace we're going and when people see hudson yards coming out of the ground and you have vanderbilt coming out of the ground uh you know as this continues that doesn't mean that every new uh uh, building that's out there has to be uh, you know right from the ground up I think we also have to respect some of the buildings that are in place because you know it doesn't pay sometimes to uh, you know just plow through so I think when you follow a game plan like this it really gives you the opportunity to um, you know take a building that might be considered you know I've heard people call them legacy buildings I've heard them call all, all sorts of things but we get rental rates anywhere from you know Uh, as low as uh, 70 to as high as you know um, you know the 150s 160s but the point is is that uh, those older buildings can be you know and can grow with some of the new construction that's taking place Uh, Two, you know two of the companies that we use here that are really leaders uh, in this area uh, is Nobus Uh, you see them over there to the right and uh, we picked one of the top four to make sure that we had someone Looking over their shoulder. That may not sound all that good, but when I decided to uh, hire Sebrud to do uh, the structural steel in our building uh, and asked them that their competitor, Thomasetti, Thornton Thomasetti, was going to be looking over their shoulder running a Tecla model, at first it wasn't comfortable, but it's proven now to be the best thing that we ever did because, um, um, you know, as Scott would know, um, you know, you can't, if if there's a wrong piece of steel, that's uh, millions of dollars worth of change orders. It takes a long time. You don't go to a local Home Depot and pick it up. So, you know, when you bring competition together, in this case, um, you know, in the uh, uh, technology arena or whether it's in the construction arena, sometimes when you have uh, two of the best in the business looking over each other's sh- shoulder, uh, it really, you know, works wonders. I think this is my last slide. Uh, yes, Steve, here you go. Sorry about no. that, I probably ran over. No, I got one, thank you. One. But he's good. Okay. Well, these
4: guys are a tough act to follow. Um, (laughs) I am uh, coming from a whole different perspective here, here to tell our story, uh, particularly about how Time Warner uh, is making this move to Hudson Yards. Uh, But let me start by saying, who ever heard of HBO? No. no. Uh, All right. um, So let let me move on here. So. So welcome, everybody, to Time Warner. This is our home. I think I got this seat because I actually live in this building uh, because these guys are working on some pretty significant projects here. Um, We are, um, uh, to to be clear, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, um, Time Warner, who we are. Uh, a little bit about our move to Hudson Yards and a little bit about our decision to construct and design a smart building within a building in that beautiful complex that uh, Scott was talking about a, a, a little bit earlier. Um, first, uh, Time Warner is made up of uh, three, the three operating divisions, HBO, Warner Brothers, and Turner. Um, we have about 25,000 employees and about 15 million square feet of property around the world. Um, and I should say I'm going to be referring to my notes here because I'm an FM guy not a... <laughs> Not a powerhouse I like these right here. Um, <laughs> um. So uh, let me say that uh, the decision to strategically pull, pull it all together and co-locate uh, all these divisions at one single building uh, was, was quite a task. Uh, we kind of dri- driven it, we drove it by a, creating a balanced scorecard of uh, waiting opportunity versus risk. Uh, when I talk about opportunity, uh, when this engagement started about six or so, so years ago, uh, we had um, seven buildings here in Manhattan whose leases were about to expire at the end of 2018. Um, we had uh, an opportunity to actually shrink our uh, overall real estate footprint by a million square feet as part of this move. Um, we had an opportunity to modernize our facilities, uh, an opportunity to um, upgrade our infrastructure, improve re- uh, reliability and o- over- overall um, uh, maintenance and, and, and efficiencies. Uh, as far as risks, uh, I think the real risks played out where if we stayed in our existing locations, uh, we had the challenge of rising rents. Um, we had the uh, challenge of having to do significant infrastructure upgrades at a lot of these sites. Um, and uh, in addition to, to risk of making this move, um, uh, the move itself presents a risk, uh, pulling CNN broadcast operations out of this building and m- moving it downtown, uh, relocating HBO Studio Productions operations down on 23rd Street and moving across town was uh, quite a quite a hefty challenge. Um, add to it um, a project uh, of uh, magnitude about we have an interior build-out ongoing of 1.4 million square feet of property. Um, to deliver that on time and on budget uh, is certainly a challenge into itself, and I do a shout-out to my partner in crime here, Joel Brenner, who's overseeing that project, and uh, we're really fortunate to have him on our team. This is a lot of moving parts here. Uh, this is, um, you know, this is a, a truly a challenging project, something bigger than we've ever taken on before as a corporate entity and a media company, I, I, I should say. Uh, last but not least, um, in terms of the risk, I, I, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact is a this concept of, a I call it a, a cultural meld. Uh, HBO, uh, the, the, four, the four divisions, uh, we've historically operated very independent of one another. Uh, some of of our businesses even overlap one another in in some cases Um, so it was important it was a challenge for us as the real estate folks to find that common denominator in the real estate portfolio and uh, still continue to respect the integrity of each of those brands rather than kind of slam all these 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 different cultures in in, into one locale so um, as a result of that strategy that that developed years ago and i know this is a long timeline this is a it's a great company to work in but we we take time to get stuff done um but uh that uh that beautiful building up on the left is 30 hudson yards um it is a uh we decided to partner with related in that building it is um the it will be the third tallest commercial tower in manhattan has the highest observation deck um even above the freedom tower Uh, it's got uh, 750,000 square feet of retail space and don't quote me exactly on the numbers i'm going to keep my wife away from that location Um, (laughs) and um so we are going to occupy a little more than 50 percent of this building um and uh we're going to have a building within a building and to size it up this tower is about 1290 feet tall and has uh 90 90 floors And if I heard that correctly this week, I think the steel just topped out this week and we're about to start the crown work on this building. So this is really, really exciting for us. Um, Overall, taking taking the path forward, uh, this journey started back in. Back in, 20, in 2012, uh, there was a series of uh, cross-divisional workshops and programming sessions for us to identify how do we shrink this footprint by that million square feet, which was, which was somewhat of our target. Um, we, we developed different profiles based upon how we work, uh, which kind of dictated um, open-to-close space. Uh, many of us are trading you know, our personal space for more open communal amenity-type space, and that's a, a continuous theme throughout our industry I'm sure everybody's aware of. Um, and uh, and then we, we migrated into the actual construction phases of schematic design, design development, uh, construction documentation, and now we are uh, well underway in construction. Uh, structure Tone and uh, Turner Turner Construction are partnering to, to to put it all together, and we have uh, we've engaged uh, Turner Townsend as our, our project manager partner. So it's been a, it's been a long run. Uh, it's very exciting, and uh, we're now poised uh, to move over 5,000 people to Hudson Yards in uh, March of 2019. So we're just about. Um, a, year, a year away now. So I, Paul asked me to do something about the user experience, and this is more probably an IT slide, and I'm not a technology guy. Again, I'm an FM guy. Uh, but, but general concepts and strategies that we're going to bring forward to Hudson Yards. Uh, we're going to stick with more proven enterprise technologies and platforms. Um, those, uh, those that are more um, proven and um, have proven themselves th- throughout the industry, we're, we're going to sort of stay away from that uh, bleeding edge uh and and kind of take a more of a conservative approach uh we think our new population uh at when we all blend together in one happy place will be more of a roaming uh type of population people are going to want to work where they want to work so obviously the importance of having a a wireless uh, four-corner wi-fi model is absolutely critical as is the untethered uh, mobile concept uh in, in order to have a flexible work environment Uh, Sticking with um, our migration towards cloud-based services uh, and those types of platforms, uh, certainly uh, moving our our IT infrastructure uh, off-site, not just help reduce square footage, but it also... uh, improved our disaster recovery capabilities, our, our serviceability capabilities, our upgrades, and so forth, and all that good stuff that goes with uh, with cloud-based technology today. Um, I don't have to speak enough about uh, cybersecurity. I know there was another session that uh, Tom hosted just just recently, um, and uh, sure, I've, not only are we focused, you know, uh, on protecting our content, but now that uh, um, technology has caught up with the industrial building uh, or the, the in, in industrial building world, um, there is a strong focus on that space uh, to make sure that um, we have cyber protection when it when it comes to um, interconnecting all of our building systems Um, and just uh, an added side note here this is a um, a, it'll be a lead certified uh, and a well-focused building um, as we try to um, you know commit to employee health and overall well well well-being we'll get you certified Working we're on that. Okay, like that we actually you know because we started so long ago you you weren't even on the radar screen at the time But uh, now we're actually performing a gap analysis uh, with Delos to understand where we are uh, In in that paradigm uh, and see if we can uh, catch up quickly whether it's a phase one or, or,
1: or a phase we two, We won't be as harsh as Ed. We're not gonna come in and just tell you everything bad about your building <laughs> It's not gonna be all criticism
4: all right, so I'm going I'm to talk a little bit more about the uh, smart building um, and, and how we intend to um, uh, uh, u- utilize all the data that, that's coming out of this system to help keep our buildings living and breathing o- o- overall. Um, we, um, I, I think the challenge uh, seven years ago was to make sure we didn't move into an obsolete building. Uh, who knew what the future was and our teams had to educate themselves quickly as to what is a, what is a smart building. Um, we needed a smart, sound, technologically um, uh, advanced space and uh, we, went, we went to work several years ago and uh, it's become part of our vocabulary. Uh, looking at uh, the chart in front of you I guess is kind of uh, not as detailed as some of my colleagues, um, but just generally speaking, uh, today at this building, well, I'll call it a legacy building. Um, all of our systems are standalone, relatively proprietary. We have limited integration from one component to the other, um, limited visibility into data. They're in they're in siloed pockets. Um, and in our future world, and and we just listed a few of the few of the major components w- within our building, uh, we expect to be fully converged. where systems are talking to one another, um, we'll have open architecture, particularly for for OUR LIGHTING SYSTEMS, WE'RE ABLE TO UTILIZE OCCUPANCY SENSORS AND, and um, MOTION DETECTION um, TO CONTROL LIGHTING SYSTEMS AND um Daylight harvesting and stuff like that, uh, we'll have a fully integrated platform, we'll have clear visibility into how our power comes in the building on the supply and on the demand side, uh, one centralized unified view, and I know we called it a dashboard, um, and uh, we're currently now um, uh, uh, assembling all these parts through the services of a master systems integrator at Hudson Yards as we speak t- today, and I think the real beauty of uh, bringing this all together is our ability now to marriage this uh, this term of big data so that all can interact with one another and Provide uh, valuable valuable input so we can uh, take action when necessary. Um, okay, so with the, you know to talk spe- specifically about uh, smart building elements, um, you know there are some 3,000 at last time I checked vendors in this smart building space. So how do you figure it out? And every day there's another one getting involved. Um, so we kind of took an approach where we needed a process. Um, we didn't have uh, you know an unlimited budget. We had to convince the, the folks above my pay scale that this was important for us to do this so that we didn't move into an obsolete building. Uh, we embraced this concept of, uh, core versus ROI systems. Um, so what's happening, what, what we're showing here is the core systems, those that must be part of our smart building suite of products, uh, electromechanical, life safety, those that are important to our mission critical businesses. Uh, and then we developed a program around ROI, which calling it Return on Investment, but it, it was really a, a concept of taking those other players in the field, put them through some, some filter, and determine from a, from a qualitative and a quantitative perspective, uh, whether or not they belonged in our in our uh, in our uh, toolbox of, uh, of of smart buildings um, and in that case that would that was the lighting that was the water treatment that was the carbon dioxide detection occupancy sensors and and, and so forth so together uh, to make up those elements uh, we now uh, to continue along the uh, along this line of uh, of what makes up our smart building uh, we 've got um, all of our control systems will will be wrapped together. Whether it's our BMS, our elevator, our lighting systems, uh, this will all come together in one uh, software layer, uh, where we're going to converge all these disparate systems that would have historically ran as independent systems into one happy user interface for our FMs to be able to see. Um, and, um, and now, now the issue is with, uh, you know, we have, we've got thousands of probes going uh, th- throughout this building, bringing data back to this one centralized point. What do we do with all this data? You know, data for the sake of data, to me, is useless. It, it really needs to be actionable. Um, you know, it, we can pull a lot of information to, if we're to sit on a shelf and collect dust. really doesn't help us. So so, we, uh, so in order to, to, uh, uh, to somewhat manage this wealth of data, we've, been, we've uh, uh, invested in the concept of uh, utilizing not just building analytics, and there's a ton of comp- companies out there doing at it, doing this, but using fault detection diagnostics, as we refer to it, where um, the software, uh, it's a software that actually g- generates and allows us to analyze all this information against predetermined parameters, um, and then uh, it returns actionable results so we can actually do something valuable w- with it. Um, and that kind of ties into the t- into the last column, where we talk about integrated sequences of operation, or I call them business use cases. Uh, so we kind of started there by saying, what do we want to solve for? And then we, when we identified what we wanted to solve for, then all of a Sudden, the puzzle started to come together, um, and in and in this case, uh, you know, you know, just a, a typical example, at least in the green boxes, is when fault detection det- determines that a uh, that a chiller, let's say, is out of the desired parameters, uh, we'd have the ability to instantly either take uh, generate a ticket out of the system, marry that to our work order tool, dispatch it. Mobily to our engineers out in the field so they can go and expedite that repair and in some cases uh, and very specific cases uh, We'd even have the ability to take that information and route it directly to, to the machines and make the, the, the adjustments automatically So it's sort of uh, you know, we're going case by case and we're trying to solve uh, for what our requirements are um, And I think um, last but not least in, in, in trying to put a wrapper around some of this um, let me, uh, you know, I, I, the concept here is that we've really embraced uh, the concept of big data um, you know we, we recognize that there's a lot of information coming coming out of these buildings today historically we just used them as independent islands and uh, tomorrow we're, we're going to really get our arms around this and understand it, its overall value um, we've uh, and and of course on the analytics side having all this information and, and having it in many different places and not being able to process it and use it it was also a challenge so uh, taking advantage of uh, building system analytics uh, particularly like the fault detection diagnostic stuff that I spoke about early is going to be a big part of it. Um, and uh, last but not least, uh, you know, we do, we are using this as the catalyst for our future build-outs and operability. Um, and uh, we, we hope that we'd be able to use this as the first step in interconnecting the majority of our, our, the rest of our properties uh, our, around the world. You know, I, I will add one final comment here is, um, you know, it, this doesn't just happen. It, um, we, we have to somehow change how we work in order for to, to this to be successful. Um, and I, I think the best example I use is in many cases we're going to have to likely convert some of our wrench turners into technology geeks and maybe even vice versa. Some, some, some of these guys that know how to crunch data are also gonna have to have a better understanding of, of what these electromechanical systems are today. So you know, in the end, we expect to be fully integrated, responsible, reliable, um, and, uh, you know, some, and and mostly informed by smart building technology, and yes, a, a little bit of artificial intelligence. So, you know, as the buildings learn from one another and get smarter, a lot of this information is, is gonna flow through and make, and make changes automatically. So that's kind of our story. Kind of where we're at so
1: thank you all right Let's see okay before I jump into these Steve set me up perfectly um, you had a slide about what is a smart building and I think we all you read a lot of articles about what's going on a smart building you have conversations with people like us and there is no definition of it and I feel like the next iteration of that question is really, what is data and what are you doing with it? You know, you talked about collecting data, but you're not collecting it for the sake of collection. Scott said earlier, they're collecting so much, they're gonna collect so much data at Hudson Yards, they haven't even decided what they're doing with all the data. So I think, I'm not gonna ask a question of have you heard of Dayless, or do you watch ESPN (laughs) or HBO or whatever it is? But I would say, like, how do you think about data? And I don't mean it as a rhetorical question. It's like such a broad spectrum. I I like to look at it and say, at the beginning, there's what do we even want to collect? So you gotta decide, do you want to collect CO2? Do you want to collect utilization data? What do you want to collect? Then it's, where do you position the sensors and how do you use them to actually collect the data? So that's sort of your second stage. I could tell you right now, in our office, and Ed's been down there, uh, and Steve has too. Scott, we'll get you down there soon. We have sensors everywhere and we move them around. And so what we did is when we moved into our office a few months ago, we decided we're gonna say, okay, we project that if we put sensors in a certain location, we should get a certain spectrum of data readout. All right, well now let's see what if we move those sensors a foot in another direction, how does that change our projection our hypothesis about the data we think we're gonna collect? So this is what we're doing, constantly iterating to find out it's not just what you wanna collect, but it's where and how you position the sensors. Then you think about once you've got the sensors in the right place, you've gotta look at the quality of the data you're getting. So a lot of times we collect that and then we realize it's dirty or it's muddy or it's it's really not that effectual. So that's sort of, I think of that as the third stage. Finally, if you assume you decide what to measure, you've got your sensors in the right place, uh, you've got quality data, now you've gotta formulate a strategy on what are we gonna do with this data? like what, what are the changes we're looking to affect with this data and then finally and you think that would be the end you actually have to figure out an implementation plan and so folks like you that actually have to put this into practice you need an implementation plan to where you're going to take with this data and what changes you're going to make so it's really i mean you could stretch that out more of a five-stage process but if you're not thinking about it in those sort of buckets you're missing little pictures of what data is. so the point of that is it's really complex and we don't have the answer but it is something we are constantly experimenting Uh, within our own office Um, so you know I I wanted to refer to some of the slides that you guys had before I think thinking about what we're trying to do with smart buildings and data is is different for everybody on this stage you know Scott mentioned uh, you guys have wayfinding signage you've got connectivity you've got payment solutions Uh, you've got frictionless entry you know I think of all that and I say what is that doing for me as a occupant as somebody that's experiencing the space you're taking activities that I do on a day to day basis and you're compressing the time it takes for me to do them so you're affording me more free time that's awesome my life improves I have more free time this is great you know when I look at what Ed's doing you've got demand-controlled ventilation you've got water treatment you've got lighting occupancy sensors to me that's like a combination of, your building is performing better, but you're also getting better performance out of the people in active, in the minute to minute performance, not necessarily saving them time, but changing what they perform it in that minute. You know, I look at what Steve doing, you know, the fault detection for your chillers, you know, you're actually looking at the mechanisms of the building, saying how are we anticipating perf- uh, performance improvements? We gotta make sure they perform because that's what you care about, you're on the OT side. Um, you know, I think we look at it differently uh, and, and, and we combine all this and we say, we just focus on the performance of, of the people. Um, we don't, I, I don't really care how the chiller is working as long as whatever it's producing gets me to be as productive and happy and less stressed and sleep better at home as I possibly can be. So that we sort of look at it um, maybe not on the front end, but it's more on the back end. It's once, once the delivery is there, what's it doing to us? So I think that's... I'll transition into my slides here so I can get through them before I get uh, shouted off the stage. But um, I, I want to, I, you know, I think uh, what I want to make sure you guys take away from this is three things. Why health in the built environment is important. And I alluded to this, some of this already, but what's going on right now. And fortunately, um, I, I think all three of my panelists up here or doing things right now that do contribute to health in the built environment of the occupants. And then what the future holds, and I'll touch on that a little bit because I think when I always come to events like this, I always leave wanting to know like, what are people doing on the, really, on the bleeding edge um, that's going to eventually become the leading edge that's eventually gonna become what everybody's doing. So uh, I do not have chips to pass out so you guys can all gamble. I don't have any gifts to give you. Um, but what I can tell you is we all, you, you look at this slide, and I could, I could take time and I could pick out every single thing going on in this casino floor. And we all know the casino was designed to make you gamble more. We take it for, like, everybody understands it. it's not even an arguable point anymore. The color scheme of the carpet, the pattern on the carpet, the lights, the sounds of each machine, the air quality, everything was designed to make you gamble more. And we all just believe, yeah, it's successful. We gamble more when we're in a casino. We know that. Well, our philosophy is, you don't think we can take your office and do the same thing for your performance? I mean, seriously, like you're in your office all day long. Why can't we take the intelligence people are putting into designing a casino and do the exact same thing for your office? That's what we're doing, we can. The answer is yes, we can. And, and luckily uh, the other guys up here on stage are doing the same thing. So this is the question I would ask if we, if we had time and I had smart enough uh, uh, slides. And luckily our graphics person isn't here because she would kill me because she probably made the smart slide for me and I'm not using it. But, you know, if I asked everybody in the audience, what do you think is the biggest determinant of your health? And pretend I covered that up. Uh, A lot of you would say, you know, uh, the genetics of my parents, maybe my grandparents, we had high cholesterol, you know, so a lot of cancer in my family. Or people might say, you know, I go to the doctor a lot. I have great doctors. That's what contributes most to my health. Well, in reality, it's the top, blue and green there, healthy behavior and environment, your physical and social environment is 70% of what determines your health. It's not your doctors. I say that, my dad's a doctor. I've shown him this path, he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, that's great. He said, if everybody was taking care of the 70%, people wouldn't need to come to me as much. He's about to retire, so he doesn't really care, but you know, he gets it. The doctors is a small piece of this. All right, so if I had this slide right, I would have covered up the piece to the right. And I would say, great. 70% of what determines your health is your physical and social environment. Guess how much we spend on preventative care? You don't have to guess. It's up there, actually. 2.5% right. <laughs> on 70% of the problem. It is really crazy. Uh, it's sad, but it's crazy. Um, and so, what we're trying to do is work with the great folks like up here on stage to say, all right, how do we take real estate, which you are in? all day, uh, really almost all day. I've got a slide coming up here next about, spend over 90% of your time indoors. I always like to joke, I lived in Arizona for 10 years. We spend, I calculated, about 99.5% of our time indoors because it's not everywhere. Um, So if you you realize that the physical and social environment is the biggest determinant of your health, and then you realize you're inside all day long, I know this slide reminds me of Hollywood Squares. I don't know know why that guy's holding a life raft up at the top, but um, (laughs) you're spending all your time inside and the inside's what's impacting your health. So, you know, we were discussing earlier uh, before we walked in here, real estate is the future healthcare model. Your space is what will deliver all these outcomes to you. And so just to think about that, uh, you know, a lot of us here are connected to real estate. Rather than saying, Okay, you know, uh, you got, we work in a, different ways of working, and people think real estate will become less important. I think we're all saying, no, no, real estate actually has the potential to become way more important. And it can overtake the importance of people like my dad, and he doesn't really care that I say that either. Um, you know, this is something like the guys are here up on stage were, um, you know, Ed's got well certification at One Vanderbilt, and we're gonna pursue it uh, with Steve and hopefully with Scott as well. We'll have that conversation later, Scott. Um, But, you know, if you look at the top eight goals of employees, i got to squint here. Employees, what what, what are their top eight goals? Lose weight, be more active, eat healthier, get more sleep, reduce stress, be mindful, improve mental health. The only one we don't address is improve my financial health. Um, So if you look at a space and you say, all right, what are my employees, what are my occupants asking me for? We are addressing seven of the top eight goals. That's a really, really impactful thing to say. We're saying, all right, what do your people want? Okay, how about we give it to them? Novel idea. Um, you know, finally, a little bit about the future. Um, we, we came at it, I was thinking too, Scott, I saw your slide. I'd like to go back on your, your timeline and I want to put uh, well certification in 2014 on there. Uh, but, you know, to go back a few years, our company's been around for about 10 years, but we became more in the public eye when we uh, founded and created the Well-Building Standard in 2014 and we released it at Greenbuild in, in New Orleans. And the Mayo Clinic, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people in this audience know, an awesome institution. I think they're the most innovative medical group out there. Um, they were one of our medical and scientific contributors to what we did for a long time. And they said to us, guys, this is the future we think we're the best hospital system out there Um, we know this is the future not just of health it's the future of real estate what more can we do together and we went back to our corners for a little while we came up with some ideas and we came up with really a dream that ended up happening thankfully and we said why don't we go 50 50 delos and mayo clinic we'll build a lab on your campus and we will test everything going on in the built environment I'm going to fly all you guys up there, not right now because it's in Rochester, Minnesota, and we don't want to go there right now. But in the spring, when the weather's nice, we're going to fly up there, and you will see all the data we are collecting. So when I talk about the future of data, uh, to me, what we're doing at the Well Living Lab is the future of data. We're measuring things like if my seat, if this area here is three degrees too warm but Steve has annoying noise in the background and that annoying noise is not my voice, it's some other noise. And then Ed has a chair with poor ergonomics and Scott has the wrong light, all right? So we've all got some condition here that's impacting our our performance. Whose productivity actually changes the most? And then who's less stressed? And then we even measure sleep. Who slept better or worse because of the conditions I just described? That's what we're measuring at the lab. It's amazing. Um, I could go on and on for really an hour about it because you, you get in there and you feel it. And there's so many sensors everywhere. Every time I leave, I say, we're gonna have to run a study to make sure I didn't get poisoned from too many sensors because they're everywhere. Uh, but it's really amazing. It looks like a spaceship in there. So I'll, I'll sort of close with that. But I, I think the cool thing about it is just thinking, You know, I talked about at the beginning, the difficulty of even considering what data is, what it means to us, how we collect it, what we do with the quality, what's our strategy. This is like, oh my God, it's really out there, but it's taking the quality issue, the strategy, and even the implementation piece of this and saying, this is what you guys can do. I mean, the Well Living Lab is taking data and information and we're giving it to the insurance companies and we're giving it to the people that determine policy to say, hey, we have the information to tell you what you should do in your space. It's here, there's proof. You know, you don't have to take our word for it. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Thank you.
0: That was awesome. Uh, thank you guys. This uh, is really informative. And um, as I forgot to mention at the, at the top, we are recording this for a podcast. Uh, Ross, fortunately we can edit this. I appreciate that, thank you. <laughs> so uh, as we're, we open it up for... Uh, the height Q&A. joke too, I want that out. Yep. <laughs> um, as we're going to open this up now for, for Q&A, just, I ask you if you stand, you know, we'll, we'll pick you out, just wait for the mic so we can hear your question. So uh, with that, I'll open it up. Uh, the Burma group will be walking around with microphones. What do we got?
2: Hi. Um, So my question is because I think we talked about the face detection and also a lot of information about, you know, pattern of sleep and productivity. Is there any concern about the occupant uh, privacy when we're thinking about collecting all this data um, and how they would react to, you know, potentially employers having that data?
1: I mean, I can share my opinion. Um, We are not even pushing the envelope yet on data collection. Um, The conversations you would hear in our office about what we could collect with genetics, you know, how your wearable, if you combine your genetics, which I don't think a lot of people are comfortable giving up yet, and then you you combine that with information from a wearable, and you could potentially walk into a room where the room adjusts to you based on what it knew of your genetics and the bio uh, feedback it had gotten from your wearable, we're not there yet. Um, you know, could we make it happen? Uh, yeah, but I don't think people are ready for it. So I, I think uh, data security from managing a building is a huge piece of this, and we talked about cybersecurity. But yeah, I, I mean, I do think privacy is an issue, and I, I don't think we're. I don't think people are quite ready to give all that up yet.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I also think there's a, there's a challenge in corporate America where a lot of our policies are governed by human resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very sensitive space uh, once you start to delve into, into, into personal stuff. Um, I, I'm thinking about, a, a we just did a trip recently Uh, Scott, with with some of the related guys down to to the new City Corps headquarters, Uh, and they had a a kind of a hand scanner to be able to get through the front turnstiles. And uh, we sat and watched how the whole thing worked, and people were just walking by and someone was really working well. And then there was a whole group of turnstiles off to the left where the folks were uh, actually putting a card in or they had a they uh, they had a guard there actually open it up and uh, i i think the i I know the conversation went where their entire population was not required to use this hand scanning where it was actually reading your fingerprints but you you had an option to opt out Um, and if you opted out then you went back to the more conservative approach to to access buildings so i I think to 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 vouch for your point it's not comprehensive yet it's not this is how we're going to do things Uh, we got to kind of slice the market up a bit in order to be able to move it forward
0: More questions? I can't see it down here on the left. Hi. This is a question mainly for Steve, but others can weigh in. Steve, you are very modest about
4: your limitations as a, quote, FM person, but (laughs) that, that means a lot. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned that some of your team are kind of becoming IT experts and vice
2: versa. How do you manage that, transi- uh, that transition? Is there retraining? Do you outsource yeah. a lot? I mean, your, your, your whole list of priorities. Well, involved. I can't even,
4: you know, it's, it's a great question because I, I struggle convincing my, my HR department that I need to recruit for a smart building technology manager. And you go and look, and I've used our JLL partners to find people like that. They're just not out there today. Um, you know, it, it, the, these are folks that kind of sit on the fence, and I think this is really an emerging market today. Uh, I think you're going to start to see some of the larger uh, educational institutions out there start to actually train folks in this in this middle this middle space. You know, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't say, you know, I, I want to. Get, go to college and be a facilities manager you know today you know this this is a whole different world today um and uh, it is it is a challenge finding the right folks so yes we are we are balancing uh, internal folks folks that kind of want to make that that transition and sit on the fence, along with outsourcing uh, experts to kind of come to come t- to the middle here. Uh, but we are still we're looking for folks that can kind of s- sit sit in that middle space. We rely heavily on um, consultants. Uh, I've, we use a team that helped help us uh, devise that program I mentioned before about the. Uh, uh, building a process to differentiate between core and ROI systems uh, and those folks that are consulting on the build on the construction and the design of a smart building are the people that are well versed in this space because they in order to be able to glue it all together and and, and build the, the architecture you need to understand both sides of the fence both from a technology perspective as well as from a, a, a electromechanical life safety system perspective so it, it, it's a new world out there there's no question and it's a challenge to find the right people
3: I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, add to that, <clears throat> my mom's 80 years old and she figured out technology. Uh, my dad's 84; he hasn't figured it out. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I will tell you that when we started with the Energy Desk uh, 14 years ago, uh, he calls it TED, the Energy Desk. Uh, we took our chief engineers, you know, and really introduced them to the C-suite, and slowly but surely, you know, they went through steps, but when we were watching what they were doing, ramping up buildings, turning them down, uh, it started creating the type of collaboration that you, you need. And I think as long as you equip people and uh, give them the opportunity to use the technology, uh, that's one of my uh, models in, in the technology group is that no one in the company should be afraid of it. The minute someone is afraid of it, you know, you've failed as a company. So um, Brock Nagg, I'm going to mention him again, he, uh, He's renamed Ted to Theodora, and I asked him why Theodora, and he said, "You know, Ed," he said, "my wife is such a good communicator. Just women are good communicators. We have to take Ted to the next level." And (laughs) and uh, he, this is all true. I mean, he just recently coined this, so it's not going to be Ted 1.0, Ted 2.0. He named it Theodora. So, I do believe that the guys in the engine room, uh, you give them a shot. You know they they'll they'll adjust uh, and you go show them when they don't know you show them you don't touch their computer you don't touch their devices you guide them and navigate them to do it and you'd be shocked i mean it's created such competition amongst our chiefs all the way up to our senior management uh, and the dialogue that has happened i guess if you asked me 10 years ago if it was going to happen i probably would have told you no Uh, but uh, i've seen it with my own eyes so uh, I think it can happen, but it does take time you know, until you, um, you know, really dive in. The only thing I would add is
2: just real quickly is that like, the closest evolution I've seen has been kind of like in retail, the store team evolution to digital evolution to closer to the customer in the data set. And how that has driven the talent requirements in that environment. And I think that's what's happening in the real estate development as well as technology converges. And trust me, technology talent is not a cheap date. Um, but how that converges, and then that data set and the utility of it, I think is going to be where the next evolution is going to happen while respecting privacy
0: uh, adding on that, I'm thinking of the war for talent for the next generation of these facilities managers, or if they're retailers in your case. You know, have you guys seen you know as leaders of your companies any any children or kids coming out of college that are getting groomed for this or are the universities responding to this yet uh,
2: I mean I would just personally say that you know we we're doing internships to bring people along to yeah. ingest that in, in, in there. And I, I've seen some universities responding to it more from a technology side. But mm-hmm. I think this has a little bit more to evolve. But listen, they desire as Google and Apple are building new campuses and there's this confluence of technology and real estate coming together. I think there's going to be more and more obviously focused upon that in the uh, data science. I
4: think I could add that um, I, I sit on a, uh, a core tech advisory board with the ibcom groups and um there is a groundswell now of those folks that are trying to champion this folks that are in the industry whether they're on the corporate side they're, whether they're on the real estate side whether, whether they're on the the sales side try, trying to set, sell you something there seems to be a, a a core group that's getting together now we actually have some some calls planned uh, to figure out how to move that agenda forward there are a couple of schools that are starting to embrace the concept now but again we're just kind of touching the tip of the tip of the iceberg here you think about smart building in general you know maybe five percent of the overall building population has smart building technology in it which i I admire what you spoke about it's really going back The, the 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 real opportunity is in the balance of our of our real estate we have to go back and retrofit these buildings and get them up to speed. So there's a huge opportunity. You know, we're at phase one, phase five, phase six of the evolution of this thing, but all the work is really behind us. It's really not forward. We're we're cutting down new trees, but we gotta get these other buildings up to speed. So there's a huge market out there. Um, And I think you're gonna find that um, happen in in the schools at some point, because you're gonna need folks to be able to handle it. That's great, and I know
0: we have a a bunch more questions. We have a little bit more time, so um, I don't know if the Berman group could help us. I saw some hands raised.
2: Thank you, Tommy. You've assembled a great panel, and I like the way it was structured with the, diff- the four different layers. So I'm Jill Sunshine, and I have a question about building versus vi- buying the tech. So many of your companies are big enough to have your own IT or development department, so you have a choice. Do you build this smart building technology yourself, or do you buy it? So my question is, how do you decide? And if you decide to buy it, do you tend to go to the startup accelerator-type companies, or do you prefer more established companies for your tech? Thank you.
3: That's a great question. I yes. guess I'll, uh, I'll take it from where we do it at SL Green. We do a little bit of both. I think every time we uh, see an opportunity, uh, there's always a side-by-side that's conducted to determine what the ROI is going to be. Uh, people understand FTEs, full-time equivalencies, versus going out and... Putting something out to bid and you know really being a specialist in what you do, I think it's important. We all talked about data. All this data is coming in. Uh, it's great that we're collecting it, but I mentioned the word scientists, and uh, uh, there's people that specialize in certain areas. That you know whether you have a large IT group or not, uh, I think mine's medium size. But you know we we sit down and we know <coughs> when it's uh, you know our turn to say that we don't know what we don't know. Uh, And we have to be able to look at, you know, people that specialize in this arena, um, you know, and then go to the outside. So we do both. We outsource uh, when we have to. Uh, We're smart enough to do that. And it also depends upon timing, right? Everything's based on budget and timing. Um, I don't know that I, I, I know anyone that completely outsources. I think people get lost in trying to internalize everything. Uh, but look, we all you know, manage expenses to, to a certain degree, so uh, I think the days of uh, people doing everything internally you know, would become a point of failure because I, I don't think they're going to be successful. There's too many specialists out there, as uh, Tom had mentioned.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I should add that. You know, this is not you go on, you buy a package off the shelf, and here's here's your your smart building plug, plug it in, in into your, your laptop. I, I think it really starts with what I mentioned earlier. Are are your business use cases? What are you trying to satisfy? What do you want to solve for? What are your corporate objectives in, in, in terms of health, in, in terms of efficiency, in terms of overall savings? You kind of start there and you lay the groundwork and you get the fa- you get the foundations, and that helps you build a solid business case that's usually usually wrapped around savings because you want the people above you to. T- try to fund this thing Um, but but in the end you know think about what you want to fix first before you just go running wild with scissors so let's let's bring all this technology in. it has to do something it has to have a purpose in the end
0: great well we're about eight minutes over but uh, again gentlemen I I can't thank you enough this has been a fantastic (coughs) conversation so once again to our panelists